You're listening to the Dream App Podcast. My name is Jesse Lyon, Chief Dream Scientist. Were you ever told that video games will rot your brain, that they're a waste of time, and that you should actually be enjoying the real world outdoors? Well, today's guest says that they're all wrong. I'm joined by the situational therapist, an inspiring mental health provider who's using video games to treat mental health. He claims that by using video games as a metaphor for real life, and by observing his client's behavior in the virtual environment, he can better understand and diagnose their mental health struggles. This is definitely going to be an interesting conversation. I'm so glad you're here. Well, today I'm joined by uh, Derek at The Situational Therapist on TikTok, over 900,000 followers doing some amazing things on the social medias. Uh, but I've, I'm very excited for this conversation because uh, I found Derek's page because you specialize in like talking about kind of nerd culture, video game culture, and relating that to mental health. And that's a huge part mm. of your practice which I love. And so I'm just happy to have you on the podcast to talk about some of those things. Derek, welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I love mixing all those things together. I like to tell people this is not your mother's therapy. Um, we are not going to be sitting doing straight blank face, you know, tell me how that makes you feel like that's great. Um, you know, it's 2020 or post, this is a post no, 2020. And um <laughs> <laughs> we should do things a little different. You know, I don't want to, I want to help, you know, my, my, my clients heal their inner child, not put them to sleep. So I Oof. use video games. <laughs> Oof, you're telling them, you're telling them, man. But then once they get to sleep, then when they dream, we can come to you and you can help us understand what that is. That's, that's what I'm hoping. Just providing some mental clarity and some peace. That's my goal, man. <laughs> I love that. How did you how did you kind of get into like combining those two worlds? Because you think about I mean, I don't know. I think about mental health and the way that, you know, I grew up and the way that I was taught in school, you know, it was very like, you know, it's all about empathy. Mm -hmm. You got to do the Carl Rogers thing. And if you're not doing the Carl right. Rogers thing, you got to have the blank slate, you know, be totally right. emotionally uninvolved from your clients. But that's very different from your approach. Yeah. How did you how did you kind of find, I guess, your therapist voice? Well, because one of the things I love to talk about is that, you know, I love all helping professions. We all help in very similar ways. And I am an LMST, I'm a systemically oriented therapist. And from the very beginning, the way that we look at problems are different. Um, we're looking at the entire family system. We're looking at everything together instead of, oh, here's my identified patient. How are they the problem? Okay, the identified patient has indicated that there might be some family problems here that we need to talk about. And so we have a lot of the founding uh, fathers of our theory, kind of like, who don't like that language. We have a lot of the people that originated <laughs> from the theory. That was very constitutional. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to be constitutional about it. But, you know, um, you know, for example, Carl Whitaker and his therapy of being stubborn. Um, you know, a lot of strategic-based therapies where you go in and like therapy is a very active process. And so for me, I know that, you know, I was taught in my program that it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to self-disclose with the correct boundaries. It's okay, you know, to let your clients know that you're a human too. And I just found myself in therapy. I mean, one of the theories I use um, is heavily based on communication. And I just found myself, you know, not getting bored with therapy, but like, I feel like there was a huge part of me that I wasn't bringing to the therapy room. Um, and that is my love of video games. That is my love of nerd culture. And, you know, through a, a self-improvement experience I had on my own, um, I wanted to get better at fighting games. Fighting games is something I've always enjoyed. And I just, uh, I just wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting it until I realized, like, I can sit and practice moves over and over and over again. 
until I learn how to be consistent, until I really sit down and, you know, all the skills that are necessary to succeed anywhere else in your life. You need to be able to do them in, in video games, you know. Um, I always like to say with fighting games, your character doesn't get any better unless they're a nurse. Um, you make better decisions. And making better decisions is kind of one of the main things that we do in therapy. So if I can show you how to make better decisions in video games, well, then you're already making better decisions in your life. And you just translate wow. it from one place to the other. You know, you know, that may sound crazy at first, but I've got to say, like, I do enjoy a video game or two myself. And I have found that as I have matured uh, mm -hmm. and my personality has grown, my play style has become different mm -hmm. and it's also improved, which sounds so silly. And, and right. I think it sounds silly because we dismiss video mm -hmm. games. Oh, they're not important. Yeah. They're, they're not useful. They're just, you right. know, either a waste of time or rotting your brain. That's what I was taught growing up. Right, right, right. And the research is so clear like, that that's not true. Veterans with PTSD who use video games and VR, I'm sorry, I mean to jump in there, but I just, you Please. know, like that is, that's the prevailing idea that it's just, it's just, you're just wasting your time and nothing could be further from the truth. It's a tool just like anything else. The skills that you have to learn to translate them to the controller. If you are impulsive in real life, you're going to be impulsive in video games. If you practice impulsivity in gaming, you by necessarily have to be less impulsive and like you're the person, right? Like you are the, 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 the controller. And so, um, yeah, I really think it's, 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 it's sad that, you know, a lot of people believe that it's just a waste of time. If you have the right mindset, honestly, anything can be therapeutic if you look at it in the right way. Um, you know, Agreed. so, so I, I, I just think video games are a lot more fun um, than some of the other things. They're a lot better than worksheets. I can put the worksheet, I can take oh the gosh. stuff that's in the worksheet and make it in the game. You know, like I can't stand the <laughs> If I had a nickel for every wellness wheel I had to fill out, oh my. <laughs> it's true, though. And I think that's what initially draw, drew me to your page was you were making a connection between the way that people express themselves in video games uh, and their mental health, which mm -hmm. is the same, I believe, the same type of connection that I've found between mental health and the way that people express themselves through their dreams. You can mm -hmm. tell a lot about the person their personality and kind of where they're at based on some of these things, because I think it directly taps into the unconscious mind. Is that, is that kind of the same premise that you come from? Well, when it comes to, I work from a more skill-based perspective because okay. sometimes I have questions about sort of the archetypes and maybe you can help educate me just like I don't want people to think that playing video games, you know, to help with your mental health. is just me trying to make an excuse to, for all my video games to be taxed right off. Um, I want to understand maybe a little bit more about dream science, because from my perspective, I'm just very curious, like, do the archetypes or the things that you build, you know, to say, hey, you dreamed about this, or you had a dream that included this, and that means this, you know, I'm wondering where that, where that comes from. So for me, with video games, I'm looking at it from more of a skill-based, like, if you need to practice certain skills, like, for example, patience, is one that comes up quite a bit. Um, if you're unable, you're not gonna get it right away. If you have a bunch of stuff to do in your life, you have to break it down into smaller parts. It doesn't matter. You're gonna have to wait. It's gonna take time. And if you rush it, you're just gonna make it worse. Um, it's the same thing, for example, if you're playing um, a first person shooter and mm. you are running around a map. Like if you don't know how to be patient, some of my favorite things to do is to sit in the corner and wait. They can't stand people like me, but why move? You're doing it. That's my it problem. 
you know? I'm running around. So, I'm getting. I, right. I'm doing terrible because I can't. I can't sit still for like five right. seconds. <laughs> right. And so as you as you like make a goal in your mind, for example, to have more clutch moments in fighting games, you literally have to mm. practice. Okay. Before I go into one, I just tell people get your finger off the sprint button. Number one. But number two, you know. <laughs> Throw in a flashbang in a room before you go in or just pull up a game and just play for no reason. So I really work for more of like what skills do you need to practice in your regular life that can transfer, you know, there. So um, in terms of the unconscious conscious mind, you know, we could talk about the metaphor of the consciousness and unconsciousness <laughs> all day. We could we could definitely have a spirited debate about it. And I do think it's relevant. So I'm curious if you can tell sure. me more about your kind of where you're coming from, how you work with streams, and I am sure that that absolutely would incorporate um, into some of the stuff that I do, especially with games. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So, so my thought about like archetypes and dreams, uh, and the way that we work with dreams. Of course, everyone's mental health and everyone's connection with these stories is unique and genuinely their own. Right now, there we can kind of create some general ideas, kind of extrapolate some some basic premises based on stories uh, that help you kind of understand what the dream is telling you about. For instance, you know, babies are born with two fears. Uh, and, and the research kind of supports that the, these two basic fears are falling and loud noises, right? That's the two fears that we're born with. And so that's kind of universal for human beings, these two fears. And as we grow, you know, we develop new fears and different fears. And so there's this, there's this growth that happens just by being a human being, and we can kind of make some, uh, well, some, some predictions based on their dreams about what they're experiencing in their life. So falling is a primal fear. So if you have a dream about falling, well, there's something that you're worried about, anxious about. It's a stress dream. And so it could be like, okay, so this person, let me ask some questions as they're opening up in therapy. Well, are certain things in your life feeling out of control? Like you're falling down to the ground, you know, are there certain things in your life that are making you stressed that we can talk about and help really identify those? And the thing that is so rewarding to me is by using dreams as the metaphor and as kind of the starting point for therapeutic questioning, you really are able to get at some emotions that may be lying under the surface where we're so busy and stressed about our day to day that we kind of push those feelings out of our mind. Our dreams bring those right back to the surface because we're not cluttered, we're not busy and we're not holding those emotions back. It's just like a transparent window into the emotions that the person's feeling. That's kind of the basis. That's where we start. And that's kind of how we use dreams to help. And then, you know, there's all sorts of other stories and metaphors and archetypes that we can go into. But that's I think that's a pretty good explanation of the basics. How that we makes operate. Sense. OK, no, that makes a lot of sense. I must admit, I wasn't familiar with the research on the primal fears in that way. And so that really yeah. does kind of help if you start there. So I see where your starting point is. I think a lot of the times in kind of things like this, especially from individuals who may not, you know, share the same licensure level as you or I. Um, the starting point for a lot of their information um, isn't really grounded in research, you know? So hearing that yeah. the first thing that you start with is research makes sense. It's huge. Well, and and I think especially with dreams like this, um, <laughs> this problem is so huge because dreams have for a long time been very connected with astrology and fortune telling mm -hmm. and like tarot cards and things. And I mean, hey, if you use those and they make you happy, I'm not going to launch into any right. kind of religious discussion, but there is a place for that. And there, there's a place for scientific research backed mental health work. And that's what we're trying to do here. 
but we do have a stigma. I think with dream work, we do have a stigma of, oh, that's like fortune tellers and, and you know, tarot card readers use that stuff. And no, no, no. We're not predicting the future. We're not telling you whether grandma's going to live or pass away. Right, <laughs> we're just right. trying to help you understand what emotions may be lying below the surface that you didn't know were there. So what that brings up for me is like in my work, then a lot of times what happens is, is the way that I look at how people play video games um, mm. gives me a kind of, kind of an indication about how they might live their life. I think one of the most um, famous videos I had was when I talked about people, I read them about their Skyrim quest log and how many quests did they have unfinished, how many quests do they stop and start. I saw that and, one. And, so good. and, you know, I was really telling on myself, too, because I have a lot of video games that I've stopped and started. And one thing I found was really funny is I was going to resume those video games I was given to talk about, you know, with ADHD, stopping and start. Look, no matter how you conceptualize it, no matter how you look at it, eventually, you have to start the things over that you have stopped. Like, no matter where you get, how you get there, you know, whatever journey you get there, eventually, to stop stopping and starting, you have to resume, okay? And so one of the things I found was funny is when I would go back to new game, uh, games that I stopped, I was always in like the most terrible situation. I picked up Laura Croft and I was in the middle of a shootout. Um, I, I was <laughs> surrounded by people. I didn't remember how I got there. I was low on ammunition. I was playing Horizon Zero Dawn. I picked up a spot where I literally had no arrows, none. And I was in the middle of a boss fight and I was trying to craft arrows and pick them all up at the same time. And I realized, <laughs> huh, that's a lot like in life where I have these, you know, notes or things that I need to get done and I'm just going to do something else because I don't feel like doing that right now. So I really <laughs> think it's really interesting when I hear you, you know, discuss, you know, how you can use it. It's, it's really to me when I think about the conscious and unconscious, what I think more about is the communication between me and myself. You know, if I wanted to mm. tell myself something, if I wanted to talk with myself, I wanted to, and for a long time, there's been a huge stigma about talking to yourself. It means that there's something wrong with that you're mentally ill. What is journaling then? You know? So, so I feel like dreams. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like dreams in that way, the way that you're describing it, the unconscious for me would just be those things that you know to be true and that you know that you need to talk with yourself about that you might not verbalize openly or be even open enough to see. And so um, I think in that way, you know, when I use video games, is I want you to be able to see your behaviors and not judge them, just notice them, you know, look at them and see them as they are. Absolutely. It can be a great point to launch off into therapy. So I think what we need is more talks like this so people can see where we're coming from. Yeah. I very much agree. I very much agree. Well, and you made reference earlier how uh, video games are used with PTSD and, you know, mm -hmm. those coming back from traumatic situations. Uh, and they're very effective for that. But you have to fight the stigma of, oh, they're just playing video games. They're not mm -hmm. doing anything important. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing, you know, at least mm -hmm. in my opinion. I'd love your feedback. But yeah. it's similar to me because one of the things, even the diagnostic criteria in the DSM-5 right. is with PTSD come the traumatic nightmares, the difficulty sleeping. Mm -hmm. And so we know that those two are connected, that there's a there's a relationship between them. And so if we look into the content of those dreams and use that as a starting point for mental health and to help someone really discover what they need to overcome, to me, it sounds very similar to, you know, using video games to identify, ah, when things get tough, you drop the video game, yeah. don't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Or yeah. even if we go a little bit deeper with like what you're talking about, um, sure. you know, the, the, the way in which 
most people automatically assume, or the way in which most people automatically assume that, you know, um, it's not it's it's not as real as sitting down and doing real exposure therapy. That's what I was thinking of. Exposure therapy, DR is so great because the point is to help the client feel safe exposing themselves to whatever, you know, stimulus or whatever thing it is that is, is for example, heights. You said fear of falling. One of the greatest ways to get over that would be to play a video game. You feel the same, you know? I feel like there's so much potential. But oh my gosh, Assassin's Creed or Mirror's have, Edge? I'm telling you, especially oh, those from will a person perspective. Or even just having, you know, if there was someone who's involved in maybe a crash or something like being able to sit inside a virtual representation of a bus because or people that, you know, for their whatever reasons don't want to get outside of the house. They've decided that it is not an acceptable risk for them to venture out into the world like everyone else. Yeah. VR can be a great way for them to make connections and to do the therapeutic work. I'm thinking about getting a VR office myself, you know. So I really think that there's a lot it. there. It's just you can't get past the initial like idea that that's not real therapy. That's not real work. You're not using real interventions. And we have to wait. I mean, we need research for things. And I think that, you know, a lot of the times in our society, we put a lot more emphasis on, you know, the research when the truth of the matter is if we want to take a huge step back up to 70 to 80 percent of the effectiveness of therapy is the relationship between me and my client anyway. You know, so whatever tools I use to facilitate that the relationship is what we're talking about. And I think that's what gets lost in this yeah. conversation. You know? Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, and there's even, this is why I get so passionate about it. Like there's even some incredible research about how sharing your dreams improves empathy. So there was actually a research wow. study done. Uh, and, and so, well, I'll get to that in a minute. There's a cool <laughs> research study. I get excited. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's a cool we, research study done that that showed uh, for the person sharing their dreams, the person listening to their dreams increased their empathy for the sharer. Wow. And so there kind of this discussion started uh, because of this research of, I wonder if remembering dreams was used evolution in evolution to develop closer bonds with family systems, with cultural groups, because by sharing those dreams, it developed a closer intimacy between those two people. Going even a little bit further, wondering if uh, dreams had become a uh, romantic mating tool. If I share uh -huh. my dreams with a potential partner, they increase their empathy for me, and now I listen to their dreams. I increase my empathy for them. Now we have a really solid romantic bond. And so there's kind of this right. question of, I wonder why dreams and remembering dreams really developed. Was it kind of like an evolution empathy thing? Who knows? Yeah. But the research yeah. is interesting. Yeah, that does sound very interesting. Wow. I would be interested in, you know, how dreams and what they mean and, and how you would approach it. For example, people coming from different cultures and what dreams mean and the importance there, because I think a lot of that does get lost in our, you know, um, cognitive behavioral therapy focused um, world in that, you know, when you have other cultures that come in, dreams mean different things. And um, I think bringing that to the table is super important. So, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. There's so many, so many cultural things like um, uh, a wonderful one is in, in, uh, Gosh, so many, like, especially in Indian culture, uh, like cows and elephants have very specific spiritual meaning mm -hmm. in different, uh, Caribbean culture, spiders have a very specific right. meaning. And so in American culture, it cows and spiders, totally different meaning. So 
developing some cultural sensitivity around how you're interpreting yeah. symbols and interpreting dreams is is crucial. Um, and that's why we can kind of make some general sort of uh, moves in interpretation, but it's really about the relationship and talking with a dream expert, talking with someone who can help you find those answers for yourself. That's yeah. the most important. Yeah. And someone also probably someone who um, is familiar with the culture that you come from so that you don't, you know, misinterpret something or give you, because I think that's the next point is that, you know, um, I'm very careful when, when I talk about video games or talk about the way that people behave in them. I mean, it's a little bit different because there is kind of a one-to-one -one ratio. Like I could literally get the mm -hmm. DSM for some cases and look at gameplay that someone is going through. If you if you put it in the right context and say, well, you were impulsive here or you waited, you know, too long to do this or, you know, why do you always play the character? I'm playing Overwatch now. And I had a client that was playing Overwatch and we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, taking on more responsibilities and what is necessary in life, taking on the burdens of others and how to let go. And uh, it's like talking about, you know, sacrificing yourself for everyone. And so I just asked, you know, what character class do you play at Overwatch? Oh, I'm the tank all the time. I was like, that makes sense. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sense. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. So <laughs> it's funny how. Well, you know. Go ahead. I was say, you know what character I play at Overwatch all the time. I just reinstalled it actually last week. Really? <laughs> I'm always playing the healer character. Me I'm too. sitting there with Me my too. with my healing yeah. gun, just trying to make yeah. sure everyone's okay. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you need some health. Oh, you need some health. Okay, I got you. And I'm like, man, maybe Jesse, maybe you should like engage in the fight. You know, like that would be okay for you. And I'm like, so sometimes I'm like, okay, today's my emotional growth game day, so I'm gonna play yeah. a character that's outside my comfort zone. What a great point. I have got I. Thankfully, the, the fighting game community has a name for it, but I am one of those character loyalists. Um, and in fighting games, I always play zoning characters. And I joke, it's because I like to keep people away. I don't want you to touch it. I don't want you near me. Um, stay away. I don't want to deal with that. You know, and it's just, it's really funny um, to think about kind of some of those parallels and stuff. But yes, absolutely. And, and the thing is, I was playing the healer class. I don't really want to play the healer class. I want to play Widowmaker. I, everyone knows this about me. If you follow my content, I use shotguns. Snipers and pistols. That's it. That's what I mm. like to use. And so I wanted to use Widowmaker and I was playing in the game and I was like, well, there's no, you know, I guess since no one's healing, I have to heal. And someone was like, play who you want. Like, you don't have to try to do everything. And I was like, you know what? Let me play Widowmaker and have some fun then. You know, I don't need to be healing all the time. We don't have to, it's not, you know, it's not my responsibility to heal the world. <laughs> I know. Why do we do that? We take on responsibility for the world. I'm like, we got to stop. Yeah. We got to stop. Yeah, yeah. You got to have some fun too. Yeah, that's what I, man, that's true. What I love. You got to have some fun too. It's true. I love that. I love that. Well, so so kind of on this topic about about all these things, uh, tell me tell me kind of your experience with dreams and uh, how you relate to them personally, maybe even professionally. I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm, you may have heard this before. I heard that it just means I'm not remembering my dreams, but I've mm. never really got too much into dream work um, simply because, one, I don't dream a lot, um, and two, you know, a lot of the theories that I used in my program, not that there wasn't some metaphor there, but since I focus primarily on communication, which to me is like a, a, a behavioral manifestation, you know, communication mm. has a lot of implications on our behaviors, and I think that all behaviors is communication. So I don't really focus on or oh, opine is the word that comes to my mind, but I don't really, I don't really opine, talk about I things. Like I know. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, I, used to take, 
take 10k <laughs> 10k off of my student loans absolutely because i use <laughs> right um, there man i don't um i don't usually talk about things i can't see or verify and i can't mm. verify the unconscious i can't i can't see it you know so i can hear the words you're saying i can see the behaviors you're engaging in so for me you know it's not really something that has been a topic of study i think it might be enriching you know to know more about it but for me personally, the way that I relate with dreams, I don't dream. I just, I have not dreamed since I can remember. There's one specific dream um, that I remember very, very clearly. But other than that, I just, I don't remember dreams. I remember growing up, I used to have a lot of nightmares, yeah. um, a lot of sleep paralysis. So dreaming and sleep wasn't even something that I really liked very much. I always tried to like Ooh, fall sleep asleep paralysis. before. Right. I would try to fall asleep before I realized it because I just was afraid to go to sleep is something that I used to experience a lot. So dreaming and sleep, that's, and it's so important, but it's not something that I've really, you know, has been a place where I'm like, let's explore, let's get through it so that I can go on about my day. So I'm, yeah, that's kind of my personal experience with it. Wow, yeah, well, well, you're absolutely right. Like uh, when we when we hook people up to like the brain scans and, you know, do all that fun stuff, you know, during sleep studies, everybody dreams. If you actually get into a sleep pattern, you are mm -hmm. dreaming and we can map that out. We can verify that. Uh, <clears throat> we can also do some interesting research where we wake people up at different stages in their sleep. And we notice that they remember things a little bit differently and we can really kind of identify what types of dreams are happening when. So mm -hmm. we used to think that you only dream during REM sleep. That's the rapid eye movement stage of sleep. But we have found more recently that you dream in all stages of sleep. Uh, but hmm. the most intense and the most emotionally vivid tend to be in REM sleep. That's why we thought you only dreamed then. Um, okay. And then, you know, taking this research, what we have found is that actually 90% of dreams are forgotten within the first 10 minutes after waking up. Hmm. And there's a few theories about why that happens. But we can kind of confirm that, yes, uh, everybody dreams. The problem is not being able to take that dream memory with you when you start your waking day. Um, that's That seems to be really the, the difficult part. What causes you to be unable to take the dream with you? Well, so there's a few theories about it. You know, it's hard to really say like a, a causal relationship. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the current theory is that um, because your prefrontal cortex has reduced activity while you're sleeping when you wake up and that frontal cortex turns back on it sees all this dream stuff and says "Ugh, what's all this mess and just kind of clears the table off and says we've got other things to think about so it's ah that's interesting i have a thought yeah please do share yeah so and i've been very open about this on my platform but i do come from a dysfunctional family background um, mm. And the dysfunction in my family is nothing more than, you know, the result of growing up in a capitalist white supremacist society and I am black and there's a history of generational trauma and those mm. things are true. So I want to make sure that when I talk about these things, make sure to note that it is not that there is something inherently wrong with me or my culture or something that we have done. We are doing our best um, in yeah. a society that actively tries to tear us down. Let's make that clear yeah. first. And second, I did have a little bit of a dis a lot of bit of a dysfunctional background. Um, and so I'm curious, whenever I heard you say earlier that dreams mm. were primarily used to build relationships, if you grew up in an environment in a relationship with someone who didn't care about your dreams, I don't want to hear about that this morning. Let's clear the table. We need to go mm. do other stuff 
wouldn't you like not remember what would be the point of remembering them if there's no one to talk to if there's no one who wants to build that relationship with you who would you share them with like so i'm just thinking if it really is an evolutionary tool that we use for communication i'm thinking about peter gray i was reading some of his work about how play um evolved uh, for us to build strong relationships between people groups um, and help build stronger ties and i kind of tie that into gaming but if dreams evolve you know for us to facilitate communication and facilitate empathy what happens if you're growing up in an environment that's devoid of empathy what do you need some dreams for you know? oh my gosh what a great point and even more so it makes me ask the question what happens when you grow up in an environment that does not validate you based on who you are, but only validates you based on what you produce and what you provide. Well, dreams have no purpose in that, right, environment. In that environment. It's all about emotions and experience. Get that crap out of here. Yeah, what are you yeah. going to do today? How are you going right. to be productive? Right. And it's so, well, it would make sense that you wouldn't remember anything. That's actually a little bit of my story. Like, you know, mm. it's, it's, very much like, what are you doing? What are you producing? And so there was a right. long period of my life where I didn't dream. So I hmm. I could imagine, yeah, your story being different. I think remember Stephen that King saying that. Yeah, I think I remember Stephen King talking about having bad dreams. I don't know if you can verify this. This might just need me putting something together. But I think I remember him talking about having bad dreams and like writing stories about his dreams. And I could see why he would continue to have them if they are producing value in his life. I mean, he's getting a certain story. Could you imagine if he stopped? Ah, ah, there goes this man's whole career <laughs> right 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 where would that yeah. well so even um really yeah even google uh the the founder of google when it started uh started because of a dream you know he went to sleep and he had a dream about accessing a library of all the information you could ever hope to see through a computer mm. and he's like that's a great idea. He woke up, he did it. Charlie Puth, all over TikTok, coming up with songs in his dreams. He's like, I heard this in a dream. So he writes it down, sings to himself. Mm -hmm. They are an incredible tool for connecting with something that is difficult to connect with while we're awake. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's very interesting about your story. So, yeah. so there was a, if I'm getting this right, there was a period yeah. of time where you dreamed, like maybe when you were really young, and then uh -huh. that kind of like faded away and you haven't remembered your dreams or been very connected with your dreams in a while. Mm -hmm. A lot mm. of my dreams were, you know, I grew up in a very, very uh, super hyper religious context is the nicest way to say it. Um, I grew up in a very hyper, super fundamentalist, the world is ending mm. imminently type religious environment. And so a lot of my dreams were very apocalyptic, the world ending or people going to be saved or not saved. And so they weren't very pleasant. You know, I used to make up, you know, wake up like actively, like not wanting to remember, you know, what I dreamed about. Um, so, yeah, it, there was a period of time where I did. I do remember dreaming and then it just stopped. And I've had one very vivid dream. And then other than that, mm. I just did. I mean, I used to even sometimes I've had lucid dreaming before. I'm very, very. I remember doing that one time as well. And it was extremely terrifying. Um, uh, and uh, I remember trying to, you know, go through the process to make it happen again because it was so, it was just, it was so different. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. kind of been the story. I haven't dreamed in, in quite some time. I can't really, I mean, I can't remember a dream. I had, had a dream come to my remembrance in quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing your story. I, that's, that's personal. That's intense. I appreciate that. It's, um... Um, yeah. Well, I think we need to normalize these conversations. I feel like part of the reason that we're all so sick is because we all have these truths 
and you have to say them in a certain way or in the right context or in the right people or use the right language. And I feel like, you know, mental health field could be humanized so much more if we incorporated mm. this experience, including things like dreams. I think that there's a lot of stuff that we leave out on the table um, because we just were stuck in this traditionalist mindset about the way things should be done. So I appreciate you acknowledging my vulnerability. And I think yeah. it's an important thing to do going forward. You know, we all need to share. Yeah. I think so too. I think so too. Well, so you mentioned a couple of things there that I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to answer for you. You talked about uh, sleep paralysis, yeah. which can happen quite a bit um, for some people more than others. Most people, when we research <clears throat> it, have experienced it at least one time in their life. Uh, but sleep paralysis happens when there's a disconnect between waking up and going to sleep. So when you when you are sleeping, your body is par paralyzed. It's uh, if you're running in your dream, you're not going to run in bed. If you're jumping in your dream, you're not going to jump out of bed. That would be that would be a problem. <laughs> that would be sleepwalking, and that comes with its own host of issues. Uh, so so sleep paralysis happens when your eyes open up before your brain really connects back with your body and unparalyzes itself. Now, typically that can happen because of diet problems, medication problems, or stress and anxiety, trauma. So in those kind of situations, there's it gets out of sync, and that's really what right. happens. Now, uh, it can happen more commonly uh, if you sleep on your back. So if you're a back sleeper, the research shows that it's it's much more common. Is that is that you? Yeah, I was going to say, um, that's when it, that's one of the changes that I made. And I think that's really interesting because I remember looking up sleep paralysis because I wanted to understand it. And when I found out, oh, your body releases this chemical and sometimes you wake up before that chemical is fully or whatever is happening is fully done, then I wasn't as yes. scared. But before then, the only thoughts I had in my mind were of demons or apocalyptic things, you know, even when I would talk with the people in my home, their explanation, the meanings that they gave me for what I was experiencing were all related to demonic things or all related to, you know, if you would just pray more to God or something like that, that's why that's happened. So I really think that a lot of people in my community are going to appreciate that explanation on sleep paralysis, because at least when it happened, I remember being able to think like, I can't move, I would like to move. So being able to have have that thought to go to where it's like this is just sleep paralysis i'll wake up in a minute i'm going to pretend like it's kill bill and focus on trying to move my toe or something like that so that i can, so that I can get up <laughs> but yeah. that does answer my question i appreciate that well it's scary you know you're you used to you, okay i'm gonna move my arm my arm moves and then it doesn't yeah, yeah. that's a yeah. that is an intense experience mm -hmm. and it's very unsettling if you don't know what's going on especially if there's some very intense religious explanation mm -hmm. that is given to you right. about it like it's right. a demon right. you know there's something trying to attack you i mean that could be horrifying or any other kind of cultural explanation right like there are different things sure. in different places any explanation that doesn't incorporate the fact that it's a natural process it happens sometimes and you're okay you know and not uh -huh. everybody has access to the resources or information to just be able to say that it's probably very scary and there might be whole generations of families that have never had an explanation you know for what that is so Oh, good thing that goes yeah. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Well, I find that a lot. Like, and I'm curious your experience too. Uh, I find that a lot of people who talk to me have these very intense and usually religious explanations about dreams. Like, mm -hmm. oh, my teeth are falling out, so that means that someone close to me is going to die soon. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, can you imagine living with that stress of like, well, I'm just 
I had that dream. So now I'm waiting. Who's going to drop dead mm -hmm. in the next mm -hmm. couple of weeks? Like that's a lot of stress to carry around with right. you. And so destigmatizing and bringing some research and some scientific truth to these topics, uh, I, I just am really encouraged by the relief that it gives to those people that I talk right. to. And I can imagine you run into those things. I mean, geez, being a marriage and family therapist, when it absolutely. comes to relationships and family, mm -hmm. I would love if you could speak about that. Oh, any absolutely. Of these truths. Like whenever you have different, you know, individuals that come from different families, I always joke with people like, you know, it's not two people coming together. It's two family systems coming together, deciding whose mm. family are we going to replicate. And one of the things that we might replicate is the way that we explain things, the way that we give meaning to things. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting when you have someone whose meaning-making system, the world they've grown up in, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having a meaning-making system. It's just their mm -hmm. meaning-making system might be different than their partner's, you know? And so it means that my partner is cheating on me, or it means that something bad. And, and the way I like to reframe that, again, because I'm so focused on communication, is what is it that yourself is trying to tell you about your experience that you might not listen to any other way? It's okay to be concerned about those mm -hmm. things. It's okay that to admit to yourself, hey, I feel like I'm having trouble trusting my partner, or I had a dream that I was mm -hmm. walking on a rope. Okay, do you feel insecure like you're walking on a tightrope in your relationship? You know, um, yeah. whatever it might be, but that doesn't mean anything. And I think that's the thing that's important. And I think that's why there's such a stigma attached to it. And I'm sure you will agree because astrology at times tries to predict the future or says that things are going to happen. Um, and, you know, in relationships, that's really important. We don't want someone to think that your partner is going to, you know, violate your trust or be unfaithful or anything like that. So I really do try to do a good job of just, even though I don't have the research and I'm going to definitely look into more about dreams, I think it might be something fun to incorporate into my practice, especially with my work with video games. But I do tell my clients, it's not that you don't take your dreams seriously. It's that let's figure out what you're trying to communicate. Let's figure out what it might represent. It doesn't mean that these things are going to happen. Mm. Um, and that definitely does come up in couples therapy. Like, what is it? I dreamed that he was going to, uh, the big one is, I dreamed that, you know, you know, I dreamed that they cheated on me. And that must mean, and you can't, you, it's All so time. difficult to bring it. I, I understand. I hear you. I hear you. And like, sometimes the partner wants the person to apologize for something <laughs> they did in their dream. I like, didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Like, <laughs> you would never it's true. me, would you? And then it's done. And that's the best when it's time to go to couple therapy. When you wouldn't ever. Like, Let's go. Let's go. I had the dream. Let's go to couple. Let's go. Let's go. Call up Derek. Where's he at? <laughs> we gotta. We gotta talk this out. <laughs> oh man, and I, I think I think that's just a human thing, you know, Absolutely. like. We want to we want to predict the future because yeah, we want right. to keep ourselves and those that we love safe. You know, at, at least for me, I'm I'm kind of attributing some motive to it, but that's just the feeling that I get is I want to be safe, I want to be confident, so I want to predict the future. Some people do that yeah. with tarot cards, some people do that with dreams, some people do that with therapy. What do you say yeah. when someone's trying to predict the future uh, or trying to say, no, 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 they're gonna cheat on me, I can feel it? How do you how do you help someone through that with communication? I think the first thing is is you and as we all know, regardless of what approach you're coming from, you take what your client gives you. If my mm. client feels like this means this, it's not necessarily my job to convince them otherwise. You know, I want to hold a space for them. I want to listen to their story. 
I want to bring in some facts and some science and some, okay, look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say, look, this is what it is, you know, the probability of this, this, and this, you know, of us being able to predict. I can't predict the future. We're not God. I think one of the biggest things that comes up in my practice is people who want certainty. They want absolute certainty. Mm -hmm. Make sure that I can. And so how do we deal with that uncertainty? What are some coping skills that we, because for me, predicting the future is a coping skill for uncertainty. You feel so much better for a little while for that time until X, Y, and Z happens. And so I can understand why someone would want to use that. What I try to do is say, okay, one way that you can handle this uncertain situation is to try to predict the future. Let's do that, okay? This is what we think is going to happen. We've done that coping skill. Now, let's look at some other ones. Let's say, just in case that one doesn't work, have, have you heard of my good friend meditation? It's so great. If you don't like meditating, that's my <laughs> Could you play Horizon Zero Dawn? I want you to focus on picking as much berries as you can. Put the game on story mode. And I just want you to fill up your health. That's all I want you to do. It's not meditation, mm. I promise. I want you to play Forza Horizon. Don't go faster <laughs> than 60 miles an hour. I promise. Make sure you listen to some music you really enjoy and focus on driving the best path. It's not meditation. No, I promise you. We're not meditating. <laughs> I promise you. It's not meditation. I promise it's not meditation. <laughs> Um, let's go right. play the fighting game in practice mode. I want you to practice your bread and butter combos over and over and over again for 15 minutes. I promise you it's not meditation. So I just offer people other other solutions to dealing with uncertainty other than trying to predict mm. the future. And you have that there. That's an option that you can choose. But here are some other ones as well. Because I think anything else trying to tell someone, you know, there's no way that's going to happen. And then next week the thing really does happen you really kind of lose your footing in your ground in that person's life because you gave them certainty. You just told them that it wasn't. So you can't do either or, you know, I really feel like, let me give you something else besides that. That's such a good point. Cause people jump right to that. Like, Oh, that's not it. It's something different. Right. And they, and they right. go right for contradiction and conflict. And that, in that vulnerable moment, I mean, this person is expressing to you that they had a dream uh, about their partner cheating on you, right. uh, cheating on them. That that is a vulnerable moment, and so we mm -hmm. don't want to be confrontational or conflictual in that. We want to say, "Oh, this is important. I can see how important it is to you, and so it's that important to me. Let's explore this together." Absolutely. And so, with those dreams, especially the cheating dreams, I like to start with, "Well, I don't know what's what's happening here, but let let me ask some questions so we can get to the bottom of this." It sounds like there may be some something in your relationship that you want to explore or some uncertainties, some insecurities that are happening in the relationship that we might need to talk about. Let's start there, you know? And so now sometimes those insecurities can lead to infidelity, but sometimes those insecurities tell us a lot more about ourselves and our own feelings of not being worth our partner's love, of feeling like we can't be happy, feeling like we can't ask for the love and the care and the respect that we actually want and deserve in our relationships. And so I think using it as a platform to start that conversation about, hey, what significant is going on here? Like you said, with family systems, like what's going on with this system? What's going on with this engine of your relationship? Let's do a little, let's plug in the meter. Let's do a little diagnostic right, criteria right, yeah. and look what the codes come up, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's helpful. That's helpful. The problem so, is the problem, not your partner. And the dreams, can be, mm. dreams can be a wonderful way to, to get a little bit more insight into that problem because you're looking at it differently. There's a lot more creativity there. 
That's good. The problem is not your partner. The problem is the problem. I, like I don't that. know who says. I don't want to take it from anybody. I have no idea. If somebody else owns that and you've said it, please go ahead and feel free. It sounds <laughs> good to me. So I think we all get we get we all get our thoughts from the same place. So it's fine. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Wherever well, they you said one from, earlier. You said one earlier. I wrote it down. You said, "Get your finger off the sprint button." Uh, <laughs> no, it will really help you so much, Jesse. It's it really so will. true. That's the problem. Like you have to wait that quarter second to pull your weapon up to fire, and by the time you're doing that, they already got you. So if you just you don't have to move through life as I'm sorry, now I'm preaching about ADHD. But that's what I tell folks. I'm like, you don't have to move through life that fast. Find your rhythm in the game and go at your own pace. Don't be out in the open mm. with a shotgun. It doesn't make any sense. Don't stay inside with a sniper. Doesn't use the right tools for the job, you know? Thank you. Thank don't you. be trying to write a paper two days before. You need to do it. You need to start a month before. There's no point in stuff. Anyway. <laughs> exactly exactly so true well there's just there's such insight and there's such mental health to be had by exploring some of these things whether it's video right. games your relationship dynamics or your dreams right. and that's that's i think what we have to do and in order to do that i i love that quote that you said get your finger off the sprint button because in order to get the real valuable insights from our life we have to take our finger off the sprint button for a minute and be like okay I'm feeling something here. My relationship's telling me something. My video game play style is telling me something. Mm. Let me learn from this. Let me take a meditative moment. <laughs> Let me yeah. pick some berries and refill my health bar while I think about it. Pause the game for a little Pause the game. Exactly. That's an option. That's available. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to pause the game for a minute. That's good. That's good. Man, man. High stuff. So, so, hmm. So sleep and dreams have not been a huge part of your life because of some things that have going on. Right, Do you, right. How's your relationship with sleep in, in general? Is it just no dreaming or is sleep difficult too? No, no, no. Sleep, sleep used to be something that was very difficult for me because I was afraid to go to sleep go in, because I didn't want to dream. And so oh, okay, like, okay. I would be in this thing where like I would stay up all night, or not stay up all night, but I would stay up and watch television and pass out watching a show. So I used to tell people oh. I didn't fall asleep, I would pass out, you know, and not like just not, you know, I'm not, it wasn't like sleep wasn't an active, you know, I'm now going to bed. It is, I'm going to watch this. Oh, okay. I didn't go get in the bed last night. So, you know, I can remember waking up like kind of half groggy and then going and getting in the bed and going to sleep. It's much easier to do that. Um, but yeah. now um, I'm really at a place because I do exercise regularly because I have made strides with my health and the way that I eat. And by the time I'm at the end of the day, I am ready to go to sleep. I am ready to lay down. It has become a ritual. I have a set time that I go to bed. And I just, I didn't realize how important that was. But, you know, I am in the bed by 10 o'clock. Um, and I am usually up by four or five. It's barely six because kickboxing Man. is seven. So, so, yeah. so getting a, 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 even though when I first started my routine, it wasn't, okay, I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock, I'm sleeping by 10. That's not how it worked. But everything else was off and I was in the bed and I didn't have any screens. And instead of sitting and laying there worrying about what am I going to dream, I did meditate. I did get myself into a nice space. I practiced deep breathing and things mm. like that. So now sleep is something. I mean, I even take naps, which, you know, <laughs> are so great. I just... <laughs> There's such a stigma around it because, oh, you're getting, no, like that's, that's ageism. There it's is. Okay to, to grow in your age and it's okay to nap. But I know people younger than me that nap. Napping is really, really nice. I started doing it more when the pandemic happened because I was at home and I had the opportunity to take a nap. So um, 
So that's kind of how sleep is for me now. It's much more sweeter. It's much more peaceful. I haven't gotten to the place where I remember dreams yet. Um, and I'm interested to learn more about what, you know, I could do to maybe facilitate that. Um, but yeah. I, as far as sleep, it's been really, it's really great. I'm really happy. Man, I'm I'm glad that that relationship with sleep has improved because yeah. it, it really yeah. is a relationship. You know, yeah, you're absolutely. you're afraid of it at first, and then you have to like learn how to almost how to communicate with yourself over sleep. You know, and um, yeah, that's a good point. Meditation is super helpful. I I recommend that for everybody. And if you don't do that, you might want to consider getting into that uh, that kind of pattern, that kind of routine, because even research based sleep falling asleep is much more akin to a concentration exercise than it is to a relaxation exercise and people don't really understand that i think in order to fall asleep you have to actually concentrate that's why they tell you to count sheep you know or or meditate or think about something as you're falling asleep because well just like in math class when you're growing up you start to focus on that math problem you fall asleep at your desk because mm -hmm. concentration is the gateway to sleep and that's the point but Wow. You said something that I think every, everyone listening to this right now has to put a comment down below because I know you calling everybody out. How many people stare at their phone screens until they pass out rather than actually go into bed? Right. Oh, man. Guilty as right. well. And I think right. that's most people's relationship with sleep because of that fear, because of that frustration with it. It's, yeah. a, it's a good point. It, and it took it took me a while to like come to terms with it because I was telling myself and like it doesn't have to be the phone we can we can be honest about this it could be reading a book sometimes it can be anything that Absolutely. isn't you know I'm going to bed to go to sleep you know and like I was thinking about what you said in terms of like concentration exercise and concentration I never heard that but it does make sense why I would have problems going to sleep because when you're growing up in a dysfunctional environment, there isn't a way to concentrate. There's always, for example, you said one of the things that we're afraid of is loud noises. If you're growing up in an area where there are a, a, you know, a, a preponderance of loud noises, that's the second one. The first one was opine. I don't know if preponderance, preponderance. works there. I think that one's for legal. My bachelor's in criminal justice, not a lot of people know that. A lot of people have bachelor's oh, really? in psychology, yes. My bachelor's degree wow. in criminal justice. Yeah, I Very was going to cool. be a cop. I was. I was going to be a cop until I realized that's not the way I want to help people. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, yikes. Is anybody reading this? Like, listen, these numbers are terrible. So, um, I don't think preponderance. That has to do with evidence. All I'm trying to say is that if there's a bunch of noise going on where you're at, you're not going to be able to concentrate on it. It's not safe enough. It's no, sir. It's not safe to go to sleep. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I see why Absolutely. I, I tell some people sometimes like uh, to uh, uh, I guess I don't want to give away all the secrets, but not everybody's going to hear. But sometimes, you know, telling people to uh, focus on your big toe or lay in bed mm. and don't close your eyes until you're fast asleep. That's something that sometimes helps people a little bit. If you think about it, that's a little bit, that's a little, that's a little you know, counselor humor there. You know, a little, that's a, that's yeah. a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like let, 22. Yeah, don't, don't close your eyes until you tell you fast asleep. And that's not how it helps with. I won't tell you. My, my favorite one is, and I've never heard this from anybody. This is just my thing. And this is what I do. When I struggle to fall asleep, I really meditate. I really concentrate. But I imagine that I close my eyes. I imagine that my bed is in outer space. And it's like okay. a nice nebula or galaxy going on, right? And I imagine, I was like, I say to myself, Jesse, can you feel the bed slowly tilting backwards? Maybe it's just a quarter of a degree. Maybe it's an eighth of a degree. 
But if you really focus on it hard enough, you can feel your feet lifting up and your head dropping down like the bed is tilting like this. Mm -hmm. And if you really think about it, you can kind of trick yourself into being like, yeah, I think I can feel myself rotating backwards. And the more that you concentrate on it, the more that that rotation feeling starts. And then once I get vertical in my mind, I fall down and I never get vertical because I fall asleep. Hmm. That's my secret. That's so interesting. I wouldn't give that. As, I never heard of it before. Maybe I'm just a crazy person. No, 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 no. And it's my favorite fair, though. We, we and, and I think we, you know, kind of just thinking back. I think this will. I'm hold on, before I say this. I am guilty of this as well. I'm not trying to say it. I think some of the reason though that our things on like video games or sleep aren't taken seriously is because people think, oh, that's just crazy talk. You know, and mm. so I think one of the things we have to do, and I'm guilty of it too. I had a TikTok the other day where I had to acknowledge my use of the word crazy or use of the word insane is what it was. And I think we got to start stepping away from that language because I really think it does disqualify us and our experiences in kind of one of the worst ways. It's not crazy at all that you've come up with an amazing, unique technique, um, you know, concentration exercise for someone to do to help them fall asleep, you know? So not policing your well, language. Thank you. I'm just saying I want us to think about, especially when we're doing these pioneering, these new fields, these new things, we're using video games. We're going to talk about your sleep. You know, I'm sure someone else is going to come in. I can't wait to meet the therapist who's also a chef. We are going to go in. Oh my God. Where is the chef therapist? Where are they? Could you tell me where the chef therapist is? I want That's to meet the one that I need. Person. That's the one that I want to meet. Because if we can get if we can get our sleep right, if we can get eaten right, if we can get our play right, we might be oh. doing unstoppable (laughs) you you make a great point though you make a great point sometimes being a therapist sometimes i use the word crazy a little bit tongue-in-cheek but i don't think ever i think some people still use that term uh genuinely and so it's i'm i'm kind of saying a joke when i say crazy of course it's not but i guess you you make a good point you make a good point yeah especially in marginalized communities right like because for us we don't have the luxury of adding context to our language so for Mm. example i'm very careful you know, um, about how far I allow the situational therapist to go. Because all it takes is someone labeling me as crazy. And then all of a sudden, everything I've ever said is disqualified, nothing. And this happens a lot in dysfunctional families, where once they've been labeled as the identified patient, the borderline, the the bipolar, the whatever, Mm. then their Mm. stories aren't believed. The things that their dreams are even looked at as manifestations of their craziness. So I think it's really important that we kind of get away from that language so that we can incorporate these 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 new ways of doing work and new ways of doing things. So um, that's just the perspective that I come from. But I, I definitely hear where you're coming from. And I can definitely see, for example, if Absolutely. my client says that they felt like they had a dream and it made them crazy, okay, I hear you. Let's talk about it. This isn't the time to have a higher level discussion about <laughs> this language. Like, not yet. We'll get there later. We'll get to the self-actualization. Let's deal with the fact that you can't fall asleep right Yeah. I, I love that, though. You you have such a way of uh, identifying and recognizing the use of language because that really is that really is kind of the cornerstone of mm-hmm. what you do in your practice with marriage and family therapy. That's so important. So You're important. only as free as the language that you have access to. I did just come up with that by myself. That was off the top right here. You can write that one down. That needs to you be are only you, as you free. You are only as free as your language. Like there are whole experiences that we don't have access to 
Um, and I just thought of something. I'll come back to it because I'm learning Korean. And I was waiting for the day when I would start dreaming in Korean. Uh, I was I'm super. I want to talk. I want to hear about learning a new language and how that affects your dreams. Um, Let's do it. But if with communication, if your partner, for example, doesn't have access to the language to explain how they feel, they might just say something like "You made me," blah blah blah. They're unable to say that. Well, because of the past experience I've had in my life around this particular topic, when you engaged in that behavior, I felt this way because that's the association I have with. That's a lot of talking. Mm -hmm. It's much easier. That's a lot to of words. You upset me. I'm mad. Deal with it. So I really think as we increase and expand and, and even be very critical of the language that we use, I really feel like that's another doorway to heal it. Because for me in my practice, I think the truth really does, as much as it has a religious connotation, the truth really does set you free. And it's hard to have that's truth. That's beautiful. However, you've only been taught lies. It's not, that's all the language that you know. And that's the only language you can speak. But anyway, that's my little mini sermon. Yeah, that's good. You are only as free as the language you have access to. I wrote that down. That's good. Yeah, no, that's mine. Just on this day today, I can't. Brene, Brene Brown, don't you steal my stuff? <laughs> you heard it here first. Brene, that's not yours. <laughs> anyway, so tell oh, me more about when you learn a new language and you start dreaming in that language. And also, have you seen the movie Arrival? I don't think Amy so. Adams. Well, mm -mm, mm -mm. my my clients get on me all the time. They're like, Jesse, have you seen this show? Have you seen this movie? Yeah. I don't watch a lot of stuff. Okay, ah. okay. And they're like, okay. oh, Jesse, you, come on, give me a break. <laughs> neither do I, but the few things that I do watch, Arrival has a really cool scene. It's about aliens visiting. I'm not going to spoil it. It's about aliens visiting, oh. and she's trying to learn the language of the aliens. Um, and that movie, I fell in love with that movie because it was all about like communication from the very beginning. Um, you know how oh, the military nice. comes in. Um, one particular scene that's that, not ruining it, but one particular scene where the, the, the aliens had spoke something. And so the generals were like, we need you to translate this now. You have five hours. How long will it take, you know, for you to translate this? And the message they sent, she was like, well, first we have to make sure that they understand what a person is. And then we'd have to understand that they know what ownership is. Of, and it was just, it was a really beautiful example of how like communication can break down. But at oh, one point after she learned language, she started dreaming in it. And I was just really curious about like how learning a new language affects your dream, what the research is about that, and just any thoughts that you have on that. It really kind of piques my interest. Yeah, I, so I, I don't have any uh, research okay. topics just off That's the top fine. of my head. Okay, so what do you think about what, it then, Jesse? I want to know what you think. Yeah, what I, what I think about it, what I've experienced just in my practice, that's what I can give you, is um, there's two things that I've noticed. One, when people start to dream in a language, it really means that that language has become a part of them uh -huh. and that they're fluent in it. Uh, okay. so, so some people actually use dreams as kind of a litmus test for fluency. If you dream in French or Korean or a language that's secondary to you, you're really fluent in it because now it's a part of your, not only your conscious thinking, but your more emotional feeling and expression as I well. See. Now, the other thing that I've noticed is a lot of times people will wake up and they'll tell me they're like, Jesse, I had a dream about someone speaking to me in French or something hmm. like that, you know? And they're like, I was like, well, what did they say? And they'll they'll remember what they said. And it's not French at all. It's gibberish. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for them, uh, them recognizing, hey, this person spoke to me in French, the language or the country or the, the mm. people of France means something to them. So 
stereotypes, right? So, so in America, the stereotype of French is they are, you know, they've got the, they've got the, the food and they've got the rose in their mouth and they're very romantic and they dance and all this. And so if there's a character in their dream that speaks to them in French, it may be them contemplating, connecting with a romantic idea or something Mm. that's foreign to them presently. So there's both like literal expression in a different language in dream and metaphorical expression <laughs> that's not actually the language in their dream that makes a lot of i've sense. noticed that yeah no that makes so much sense i think when you talked about the metaphorical part that really kind of rang true for me because in communication you know a lot of communication there's some things that are just very difficult to say out loud and it really does help to have metaphor in like the form of story or you know um poems or music or anything you know yeah. kind of get out you know what you're trying to say especially if you're in an environment where it is unsafe for you to, you know, say how you feel or, you know, and I'm wondering like dreams, if that might not be another way for you to safely express things that you might not feel safe expressing. You know, I'm thinking about, um, you know, kids sometimes, and again, this is just one-to-one play therapy does exist and we have the research on that, but I consider play therapy from a video game perspective. If I sit down and, you know, if someone sends me a video of this is how my kid plays video games and they're destroying everything all the time. Or this is how, I know for me, mm. it's slightly embarrassing, um, but I did not realize um, for a very long time, um, Skyrim, when it came out, I, mm. I didn't understand that I was supposed to explore. I kept waiting for like, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed oh. to go? How do I beat the game? And one day, I'm, I don't remember what it was, but I happened to get off track of like the main ridiculous storyline that no one ever finishes because that's not the point of Skyrim. And I was yeah. like, this game is so much bigger than I even was able to even comprehend. But I was so afraid of doing the wrong thing that I didn't even get to explore it all. You know, in Skyrim, I mean, it came out you know, long ago, but that was around the time where I started realizing like, and it was when I was in school when Skyrim came out, getting my master's degree. So, you know, when you're becoming a therapist, most of the time, we're working on our own stuff. Like, honestly, I tell mm. people, I want to be a therapist. Yes, it's a great job. Go to therapy first. It's a lot cheaper. And just check and make sure. And if you come out <laughs> yeah. of there and you still want to make your job listening to, you know, the most difficult things that people can go through, then that's great. We need individuals like you. And it's real. I love my job. I'm just saying, go to therapy first. So um, true. But so it true. Was, it was when, wow, it was that's when interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was very interesting. I didn't realize, like, and then I realized I approach life that way. I'm afraid to take risks, what I'm supposed to do, the mm. things I'm supposed to, what is, how do I do, beat the quest line? There is no exploration. So, um, yeah. Wow. You know, that, that does not sound uh, embarrassing to me at all. Actually, I, I remember playing Skyrim when I was younger. And I remember having a very similar experience. I was like, this game's slow. I don't understand what's going on. What am I supposed to do next? Where are the monsters? I'm just supposed to explore. I'm not allowed to explore. That's not I got what. Tell me what to do. Is is there somebody? (laughs) I'm going back to Overwatch. Is there somebody I have to heal? The bad thing to happen if I don't do, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I can, I can really connect with you in my own way when you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Well, we're coming to a close, but you asked a fantastic question. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but you asked a fantastic question that that I realized I didn't answer. You asked, how can I get my dreams back? How do I start remembering that? And so that's a a fantastic question that I definitely want to address. Um, So so remember, the reason that you don't uh, remember dreams based on the research is because of 
cognitive prioritization, right? So when you wake up, your conscious mind turns on prefrontal cortex and it says, we're, we're busy. We got to clear out room so we can worry about what's on our schedule. So take that and reverse it. When you wake up, wake up, turn your alarm off if you have an alarm and take five minutes, get your finger off the sprint button <laughs> and say, oh, no, you didn't what am use I my own words against me. No. <laughs> I really do because of the same struggle. And so I have to tell myself, okay, give yourself five minutes. You've got five minutes. Ask yourself, what are you feeling now that you woke up? Do you feel happy? You feel sad? Do you feel stressed? You know, and, and what do you remember? What do you remember from sleep? A lot of people discount their dreams. And this goes hand in hand with get your finger off the sprint button. Hand in hand goes, don't discount your individual experience. And I think that's so much of of just the growing, uh, you know, connection that we have, just the growing affirmation that we have to each person as an individual. What was your unique experience? Don't discount it because even with the research, a dream is anything remembered from sleep. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't see a lot of things when I sleep. I don't, you know, uh, experience of great story when I sleep. And I'm like, well, how do you think a blind person sleeps? How do you think a blind person dreams? They don't have visualizations, but they have some intense and very real dreams that are significant to them. And so don't discount your own personal experience. Write it down. Keep a journal by your bed. Give yourself five minutes and you will be astounded at the emotional insight that can be had from looking into your dreams. Well, what if I don't like what I remember it? Well, that you need to talk to your therapist about that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably great. <laughs> Means you're pushing something down, probably. <laughs> that's why I stopped dreaming for a long time. I had I had this. I tell people all the time about it. I had this crazy dream when I was uh, like like in puberty, and it uh-huh. it I couldn't I couldn't stop thinking about it the whole day. It's very sexually related, and uh-huh. so I was like, dreaming is dumb. It's it's yep. stupid. I'm not going to dream anymore. I got better things to do with my time. And so I didn't. Ah, it must have been like 10 years went by without a dream. Wow. Remembered. Of course, I was dreaming, but I discounted my own personal experience. And that is that is not helpful. That's not mentally healthy. Right. right. No, I hear what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. I kind of think yeah. similarly, you know, uh, for a while, I discounted how much video games have been mm. like, you know, when it happened. Whenever they came mm. out with video game use disorder, or they were discussing adding video game use disorder to the DSM, that was the I last remember. straw for me. That was the last straw for me. I was like, okay, you have come for everything else. You are not about to come for this. Like, like there's a reason why people have a imbalanced relationship with video games. Um, doesn't mean that you know um, those problems aren't real. But let's look at some of the other things. But you know, one of the, the video games, I just I discounted how how much I can learn about myself from them. 
because it's literally me. Like th- th- there's a one-to-one race. Like I did it, you know. Like you, I, I, the yeah. controller is it, and we blame the controller. We blame everything else other than the fact that in that moment I thought that was the best decision to make, and so I made it. You know, um, I'm reminded of Mass Effect. Did you play Mass Effect? Oh yeah, yeah. Good game. Good game. I amazing. Mean, Excuse amazing you're late. Okay. Are there, are there bigger su- su- superlative? I think that's the third where we need bigger <laughs> superlatives. Uh, no, I love that game. But the reason I love it so much is because it taught me the most important lesson ever. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone. But if you've never played Mass Effect, the Legendary Edition, I don't know EA. They don't, they don't pay me no money yet. Uh, but if you've never played <laughs> the Legendary Edition of Mass Effect, it's really great. But when I first played through it, I was in high school. And mm. I got to the third game. And, you know, I carried my commander shepherd from one to two to three. I built all these relationships and yeah. things like that. Um, and when I got to the end of three, um, I got the worst ending possible. I mean, some people say everyone was the worst ending, but let's just be fair. It's about the journey and not the destination. But I got sure, one sure. of the worst endings possible because I tried to make everybody happy in that game. I tried to go down the middle with every single option. And by oh, the end no. of it, I didn't have any points enough in anything to do anything with. And it just helped me realize, like, you have to choose. You have to make a stand at some point. You know, you can't always be trying to keep the peace. Like, how do you feel about this? Like, and it was just, I always was trying to do the right thing instead of how mm-hmm. I felt about it. But I, I won't want, I, I agree with you. We don't need to discount the, the, the ways in which we can communicate with ourselves, whether that's through video games, whether that's through dreams. And it's okay to get someone who is licensed and has a research base that they can pull from to help you understand what they're interpreting to you. I think that's the biggest thing to take away from here. Anybody can pick up a controller and say, I coach people through games. Or anybody can pick up, you know, a book and say, I dream coach people through dreams. But only licensed mm. folks have the research and the knowledge base and the ethics to know how to use it properly. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Be careful where you're getting your information from. Right. Make sure that it's someone you can trust and someone that is really there looking out for your best interest, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm. I love that. Well, I've gotten so many quotes from you today, but the last one that you said that maybe I'll end it on is don't discount the way you communicate with yourself. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. That is really good. That is really good. That's a chapter. That's really good. You kind of, are you on Twitter? People need to follow you on Twitter. You need to be posting these out. These are so good. I will. I, I got somebody to help me. I have a Neo. Neo going to take care of it for me. I, oh, I know Neo. I love she it. Got I love me. it. She got me. Neo going to take care of it. <laughs> That's good. Well, Derek, this has been absolutely enlightening I to me. Thank it. you so much. I, I feel refreshed. I feel uplifted. Thank you, sir. Me too. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you for answering that question about dreams. And I really am going to try. And I think the next time we talk, I'll let you know what I started dreaming about. Oh, yes. I would love that. I would love that. Well, everyone listening to the podcast, please go check out at the situational therapist on TikTok and all the other platforms. Just a wonderful individual there to help and give some information specifically about communication, marriage and family and video game stuff. I love it. Derek, thanks again. Uh, I look forward to seeing you on the next one, man. All right. Have a good day. Okay. I'm going to stop recording. Nice. That was fantastic, man. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was wonderful. That was wonderful. Thank you for your time. It was it was just great. It was great. I'm gonna tag you on everything. Let you know we 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 work a couple weeks ahead of time, so it'll be it'll be a few weeks before it comes out. But I'll shoot you a message. Let you know. Absolutely. Okay. And could you are you gonna can you send me a copy of the raw video? Is that possible? Sure. Yeah. If you want it.
Mandy, I just wanted to chop up. Like, I mean, I said a lot of really cool points, and so I won't ever post it before. I won't post anything before you do. It's just I want to get some of my stuff. I have stuff like that all the time. It's just difficult to get it out when I'm not in the presence of someone where the energy matches. So, oh, um, yeah, I totally, just, I totally hear that. If yeah. you could just give me that raw video, I just want to give it to him. I just got a, I got a real good social media person, so. Um, she's yeah, always, always nice. About have you ever work, so. you ever thought about podcasting yourself? Do you do a podcast? So we're gonna talk about that. Like the thing is, like, and I'm sure you know, with like ADHD, with ADHD and stuff. Like, um, I don't oh, like yeah. to use that label. If I'm being honest, like, I the problem wasn't me; it was my environment, and this was a coping skill that I came up with to deal with it. And I need someone to do the little stuff, like said, like I the tedious. So if all I had to do was talk, I'm great. But setting up all mm. the other stuff is really frustrating. So I got someone to do it for me. And then I'm going to really kind of make a hard transition to more like gaming things. I want to bring more research and stuff um, kind of into it. Oh. Kind of make a hard transition to that. And so this was kind of part of that for me. Um, but yes, I think it would be nice. Um, I think though I wouldn't do a podcast like regular folks. I would rather like, you know, be playing a video game and talking with them or like overlay it over a, a, a game I'm playing. Yes. Something like that to make it more audio and have the audio for people who just want to listen. But I'm really trying to make it more, you know, interactive. So yes, a long story short, yes, yes, soon, very soon. I would love to. Oh man, I, I do love have it, my I app. It. I do have my app, um, situational practice. Yes. And, uh, uh, that is where it's like a community for gamers. Um, we're just a community of people. It's not about mental health. This isn't like a mental health app. Um, it's just a place yeah. where people who love video games can come, and we use those as a way to grow. So um, I'm really excited about that, and I'm sure I'll incorporate it in that. That's cool. That's cool. I love it. Well, yeah, I'll give you I'll give you access to your footage. In fact, uh, it may. No, I think I'll have to give you a link. I have to give you a link because okay. what's great about this platform, Melon, is that while we're recording, it records it uh, on your device and then uploads it to the cloud. So that way we're not okay. limited by bandwidth. So it's actually mm -hmm. right now recording locally and then we'll upload it. So the okay. quality is actually really good. That's why I use this app. But uh, yeah, I'll get you access to it for sure. Thank sure. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And again, I promise I won't release anything until you let me know. I just want to have those things for myself, uh, you know, even for my community to be able to see. I think it'd be really dope. It's a very it sounds small good. community. Sounds right good. Um, it's not very many of us, but kind of as we grow, I just think it's cool for them to see. Yeah. So, and I, really, I think the dream thing is really going to help. A lot of my, a lot of the people I work with have grown up in super religious environments. And so being able to have that question answered about sleep paralysis, I think it's going to be really, really helpful. So I mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. So we could go forever. I gotta go get something to eat, Jesse. I can tell my blood. Yeah, do you, do your thing. Do your thing. Thanks for your time. I enjoyed this. Let's stay in connection, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you soon, man. Take care. Agreed. Agreed. Take it easy. Have a good Bye. Night. You too. Bye bye.